good morning, church family, and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church Online. It's a beautiful Sunday morning, and I'm glad that we can meet together separately. Back in March, we made the decision to follow the authorities or the government in their declarations regarding COVID-19 and the guidelines set forth by health officials. It was a very difficult decision to make to not meet in our building, but we felt that it would honor God and honor his word as we did that. As the governor seeks to reopen the state, uh, he lost a legal battle this week, and the argument had to do with the undue burden placed on places of worship as opposed to places of business. And so even with that said, Orange County has extended the, de the declaration through the end of June. I don't know what effect that will have on us being able to reopen our building. We will get help from the sheriff's office and the county and the state offices, whether it be government or our Baptist convention, with regards to opening. We seek to open as soon as possible. And so we will need to practice social distancing We'll need to be better at our hygiene within our building. And we want this to be a safe place to worship together as a church family. There'll be some guidelines and they'll be strict and it'll be tough. Um, it'll be change. And, but we are looking forward to the day where we can get together as a church body. And so I would ask that you would pray for us as we plan the reopen that you would pray for our government as they make declarations regarding our ability to get together. And then continue to pray that God would just be honored in this. We trust him. He is faithful. And we become the scattered church and maybe even more effective than when we meet in our building. So may God bless you as we continue to, to meet together separately for this time. Now I would ask this morning that you would worship with all your heart and that you would pray for Pastor Jeremiah as he continues in the Porch Conversations series when he does a message called Resisting the Slow Fade in just a few moments. So may God bless you and let's join Pastor Wayne for worship. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displays. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. this morning. We hope that from your home you will join in with us, sing together, and let's declare what great things God has done for us.
us bow at his feet. He has done great things. See what our Savior has done. See how his love overcomes. He has done great things. He has done great things. Oh, hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You flee every you break every chain, oh God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awake and alive. Oh Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high, oh God, you have done great things. beginning at verse 3 says the Lord is great and is highly praised his greatness is unsearchable one generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts 
I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give testimony of your great goodness, and they will joyfully sing of your righteousness. So I wonder, when is the last time you declared God's greatness to someone else? Right now, I want to give you about 30 seconds right there at home to just out loud declare to one another, tell each other about a great act that God has done in your life. So take about 30 seconds right now and right where you're sitting in your home, tell somebody that you're sitting with about a great act that God has done for you. continue the the habit of declaring God's greatness to other people, to your children, to your family members, to your friends, to your co-workers. Just tell them what an amazing and great God we serve and the specific things that you've seen him do and how he's worked in your life. Let's continue to sing and worship together. There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone What's another in the fire standing next to me? There was another in the waters holding back the sea. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears the burden where another died for me another in the fire All my dead that for divinity the waters I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore Should I fall in the space between what remains of me and this reckoning Either way, I won't bow to the things of this world. I know I will never be alone. There is another in the fire standing next to me. There is another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding, what power set me free? There is a grave that holds nobody. Now the power lives in me. And I can 
can see the light in the darkness as the darkness bows to him i can hear the roar of the heavens as the space between wears thin i can feel the ground shake beneath us as the prison walls cave in nothing stands between us nothing stands between us there is no other name but the name that is jesus he who was and still is and will be through it all so come one may in the space between all the things unseen and his God, I thank you that whatever we are going through, whatever fire or flood we may be experiencing, you are always with us. Father, you never leave us alone. You never leave us forsaken. You never leave us without hope. Father, thank you for that amazing gift. And believe that you are always there for us. It's in the powerful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. morning church i hope everybody is having a great morning and that you really enjoyed that worship this morning we're going to be continuing our series on porch conversations and so uh, while we do uh, we are pastors and we do preach uh, this is a time that we wanted to take some conversations and uh, and just be able to really just talk some things out <clears throat> and so i'm going to try and do my best i love to preach i love to uh uh, proclaim God's word, and so I'm going to try and do my best <clears throat> to still be me, to still uh, preach, but to also uh, be able to have some conversations here um, about this text. So we're going through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's chapter, or Matthew chapter five through seven, and uh, this is where Jesus has got some of his closest friends, people that are interested in following him. Uh, this is the longest sermon that is recorded by Jesus, and it, it covers the three chapters, and, uh, and he hits some really important topics. Uh, some of my favorite memories of, of ministry uh, have not been at conferences, they've not been at camp. Those things are exciting. We've had some really awesome trips, uh, but some of my best times in ministry um, were sitting on my back porch uh, with young people. 
under the stars late at night or at a bonfire and having these real heartfelt conversations. And so uh, today's conversation that we're going to be talking about in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 27 through 30, we're just covering three verses, is a very important topic. And it's very important to Jesus. And it's so important to him that he is very pointed and very directed. It's a very strong message uh, about something that does essentially affect us all. Out of all the things that Jesus taught about, uh, he seemed to uh, talk about sexual relations and money a lot. And those are two things that no matter who you are, maybe you're not even a Christian, maybe you just uh, somebody had posted this link and you're uh, uh, watching that and you're kind of interested in maybe the topic or something, uh, that those two things uh, affect you no matter who you are, um, and even if you're a kid watching right now or a teenager and you're like, well, you know, the whole sexual immorality thing, I just uh, I hadn't really got anything, I hadn't had any experience in that. Listen, at some point, at some time, it is going to affect you, and it's really important to know what Jesus has to say about this. So we're going to go ahead, I'm going to try and juggle by reading Scripture and uh, using the clicker here, but verse 27 says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, uh, causes you to sin. I think in the King James it actually says right hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. So, dear God, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we ask that your Holy Spirit come and guide us now through this difficult text, through this difficult topic, and Lord, that we will become better and that we will be able to see, um, God, uh, the sexual temptation. We'll be able to see sexual sin and, and the sexual relationships, God, that you have given us the ability to have and given them to us as a purpose, that we'll be able to see them through your eyes, God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. So we're going to run back through this real quick and just kind of hit some, some things so that we can kind of catch up to some context of what's going on. In verse 27, Jesus says that you have heard that this commandment, uh, and so he's actually speaking to Jews. Uh, most likely, everybody that's there listening to this sermon was brought up in Judaism. And they would have uh, been memorizing Scripture. They would have been going to synagogue. They would have known all about the law. And as you know, uh, for you guys that know much about the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments to the law that they adhere to, that is one of the uh, commandments that he is uh, addressing there is the commandment that you should not commit adultery. And so we know that Jesus came to fulfill this law, but Jesus does more than fulfill this law. He actually explains this law. Somehow we have a tendency uh, so many times to try to take a rule or a law or something like that, and we want to be so technical with it 
um, because a lot of times in our evil hearts and our evil mind, we're trying to get as close to the line, or if we happen to find ourselves the line, we want to know technically whether we're in sin or not. So Jesus actually does away with that thinking to say, hey, it's just not wrong that you commit adultery. Listen, if you're looking at a woman, if you're looking other at someone else other than your spouse, and you're lusting after them, no matter what that looks like, adultery has already taken place in your heart. Working with young people so many times, and I really hope that uh, anything I say today doesn't go a little too overboard for, for, for little kids, uh, but working with young people so many times and, and, and some of the uh, temptations that they face in this in their dating relationships and other relationships is sometimes they want to know where the line is. Um, is, is it okay for us to hold hands? Is it okay for us to kiss? Is it okay for us to embrace each other and hold on to each other and kiss for a prolonged period of time? And they ask more and more descriptive questions as what it's like, you know, is it okay to do these things? Um, and then even teenagers that find themselves, or even adults that find themselves crossing some lines, they try not to cross technical lines. And if that makes sense to you, then you know, what, you know what I'm saying. I'm not going to go any further than that. But that's what Jesus is trying to uncover right here. Sexual immorality is not a technical problem. Sexual immorality is a heart issue. And it starts way back when little decisions have been made. The decision to look and the decision to lust. Maybe it's the decision to take the second look. Maybe it's the decision to pull up a, a, a website that's inappropriate. Maybe it's a decision to take too long of a look and, and, and begin lusting after someone. Maybe it's the decision to sit and think about someone too much and then the next time you're fantasizing about them. Sexual immorality of any kind, and we're talking about adultery here, Jesus, God in the flesh, 100% God, 100% man, when He is here on this earth teaching and unveiling, what we're hearing from Him is that it starts in the heart. It's not a technical issue. Jesus in verse 29 says, So if your eye, even your good eye, King James again I think says right eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. Now, as a Bible teacher, someone who preaches God's Word, uh, we want to be as literal as possible when it comes to Scripture. But what we have to understand, uh, because I, I, I'm sure this verse can be frightening for some people. If you're caught up in the sin of, of lust or pornography or other things, and, and, and this describes your experience, you might like, is this for real? Do, do I do this? So, as a Bible interpreter, we want to be able to use this uh, as literal as possible, except when it's explicit to know that what Jesus is actually saying here. We know from uh, New early church history 
that there is no examples whatsoever of anybody cutting their hand off because of what Jesus said right here. There are no examples of anyone plucking out their eyeballs, even their strong eyeballs, uh, because of this. We, we don't have any record of that, and we don't see any of that in the New Testament. We don't see any in early church history. Is it possible that maybe someone who is disturbed or somebody that's got mental issues that sometime in history has picked up a Bible and, and maybe acted on this or started to act on this? Yeah, yeah, it's possible. So maybe you might have heard a story of that, or maybe you have, uh, have seen something of that. But from what we see in the text that God in the flesh here is teaching to us, is, is something more. He's, he's talking about this being a heart issue and he's simply saying that this is such a serious issue and such a serious issue of the heart that you have got to take this seriously. You cannot, under any circumstances, let this be one of those circumstances where you play with fire, that you're playing with matches, and all of a sudden it turns into a blazing wildfire. Because this is exactly what will happen. My first point right here is that sin is always progressive. Sin is always progressive and progressing. There is a, a wonderful uh, uh, cartoon that my kids used to watch with, with VeggieTales, and, and my students know I talk about VeggieTales a lot because I know that they grew up on VeggieTales, and there's this one uh, episode with Larry Boy and the, and the fib from outer space, and it was just this small little plant when it came there, and then the more lies that were told, this thing just got out of hand, and it wound up taking over the entire city. Jesus knows, and when he said this, and he's, uh, when he's uh, teaching this, Jesus knows that just one look of lust is not one look of lust. One look of, one look of lust is progressive. And it has let sin in. Jesus teaches elsewhere in the New Testament that he that sins is a slave to sin. And we've got to understand that when we make the decision to give in to the temptation of lust, to commit adultery, to fantasize and stuff, it's not just a, hey, we did it, we gave in, and we're going to move on. We're going to ask God to forgive and move on. We're going we're to do that. Listen, when you let sin in at the door, it takes root. And it's going to be a little bit more than you saying with your mouth, God forgive me, but with your heart, you're continuing to, um, to grow that sin. That sin is progressive. If you let it in, and if you give in to it, listen, it is headed somewhere that you don't have control. Usually when people have a sin problem or addiction problem or something to that effect, that's one of the first things that they want to say oh, is I've got this, I've got this beat, I've got a plan of action, I know that this is going to happen. And most of the time as a pastor or a biblical counselor, I can sit there and look and I can see, no you don't, you're trying to avoid shame, avoid any type of plan of action where you're out of control, but you're actually not in control. That sin is in control. Which brings me to my next point. That we should hate sin like Jesus hates sin. If you find yourself saying, hey, it's just lust, 
Everybody does it. Everybody looks at these magazines. Everybody looks at these uh, websites. Everybody talks about the girls at my school this way, or everybody talks about that one uh, lady that at work uh, this way, or everybody fantasizes about this and or about this guy, or, or or those things like that. And if you sit there and you say it's harmless, my friend, you've got some bad theology. You've got some really, really, really bad theology. And it's easy to do. Listen, I'm not trying to shame you in, into this, but you've got to understand this. We live in a culture where, where movies uh, are glorifying uh, out-of-wedlock sexuality. It's starting to glorify homosexuality, sexual immorality, confusion, uh, transgenderism, and so many things that are anti-gospel and anti-what God has in store for us as His people. And it's normal that books now like Fifty Shades of Grey that have been made into movies are on the shelves in our local Walmarts and Target. And that any kid can pull up any movie on Netflix without much regulation whatsoever and see just about any sex, sexually, um, sexual sin that they could possibly see. We live in a culture where it has become normal. But what we have to understand in getting back to our theology when we pick up the Bible and we see how Jesus hates sin and, when, and how Jesus teaches about things, as people that are followers of Jesus Christ, we have to understand a principle here. We have to understand that if we're going to be a part of His kingdom, we're going to be a part uh, of following Him, and He's going to have lordship over our lives and every part of our life, including our sexual intimacy. Listen to this. We have to understand that Jesus is the normal. What Jesus understands and what Jesus has taught us that that is what our normal is and everything else outside of that is abnormal. Everything outside of that leads to death. It leads to corruption. It leads to your life being destroyed. Listen to these stats I found uh, this morning. The porn industry Annual revenue is more than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB combined. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. 11, and we've heard as early as 8, is the average that a child is first exposed to pornography. And 94%... Think about this, 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. This is what our culture, this is what Hollywood, and this is what the kids in your public school is saying is normal. And it's not. What Jesus said, if you're a follower of Christ, if you submitted to His Lordship, and if you are following Him and you're part of the kingdom, that's what's normal for us. This is abnormal. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. And that is people that have said that they are saved, that they have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and that He has lordship over their lives. Now, I'm not here to say, no, they're not saved. But I can say, hey, I can wave a red flag and say, hey, there's some major problems here. 
There is something that we need to do as the body of Christ. What this tells me is that people that I'm speaking to this morning and that I'm in your living room or I'm on your cell phone or something like that, that you're dealing with this. That you've got this in your life and this message is meant to bring healing, not shame. So just hang with me. Don't turn it off yet. Listen. 59% of pastors said that married men seek their help for porn use. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say that porn addiction is the most damaging issue in the congregation, and 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. Only 7% of pastors say that their church has a program to help people struggling with porn. If those statistics are right from Barna Research and from Covenant Eyes, and I believe I have no reason to believe they're not, from my experience and what I've seen with with the students and families that I work with in the past, then this is a major problem. This could be a major hindrance as to why you're not connecting with God. This could be a major hindrance why there is turmoil in your home. The reason that your marriage is rocky and you're living more as roommates than intimate lovers. This is a huge problem. This is why Jesus is so strong about this. What Jesus is saying, man, I don't even care if you've got to pluck your eye out. You've got to get rid of this junk. I don't care if you've got to cut your hands off. Man, you've got to get with us. This will kill you. It will destroy. Yes, I know the temptation's real. Now, yes, I know there's pleasure involved, and I know those things like that. But listen, the scriptures say this. It says that sin is fun for a season, and it is, and nobody's going to deny that. That even watching pornography in your home, in the privacy of your home, is fun for a season. But scripture says ultimately it leads to death. And that is what our Heavenly Father is concerned. You see, if we get our theology right on who God really is and how powerful He is and how He's existed throughout time and He's the most powerful, if we get our theology right about God, then we're going to have our theology right about Jesus. If we're going to have our theology right about Jesus, then we're going to have uh, our theology right about His Word that He's given us to live by. If we have our theology right about His Word, then we're going to have our theology right about sin, and we're going to have our theology right about something as simple as looking and lusting. That's the reason we entitled this uh, sermon here, Resisting the Slow Fade. Because something as small as a look can lead to the end of your life the end of your marriage, the end of the relationship with your kids. It could, it could even land you into jail. When I was a police officer, something that I noticed strongly in working uh, in some sex crimes, it's almost every sex crime that I could think of that I was a part of investigating that was a legit sex crime always involved pornography. It always involved lust.
So what do we do about this? What do we do about it? What's, what's our response? Listen, before we need discipline, we need healing. I heard a comedian one time say that, you know, alcoholism was the only disease that you could have and get yelled at for it. Well, I can think of some others. There's some other addictions, and this would probably be one of them as well, where you can get yelled at for it. Listen, but if it was that easy for alcoholics to get cured by getting yelled at, man, we wouldn't have an alcoholism problem uh, here on this planet at all, you know, because uh, every alcoholic I know of has been yelled at. Uh, Every person, even people that abuse alcohol have been yelled at. This situation right here and how it's handled, you know, I think one reason why there's only 7% of churches that are actually even saying anything or doing anything about this is, is because they don't know what to do or what's effective or how do we do this. It's so private and people are so uh, unwilling to talk about this or allow people in their lives. Listen, uh, and it's, it's mostly this because if you go to your average pastor, you go to even your average parent, if they catch their... Teenager looking at porn, it's this thing right here, it's this discipline that's going to be their first act. And what I'm going to say this morning is before discipline, that we need healing. And the reason I'm going to say that is because if this sin is a heart issue, we can do all the discipline in the world and it's not going to change anything. Covenant Eyes is a great program, and there's so many other ways to block things on your phone and even your Wi-Fi access at at home and at church and, uh, and ways to keep up with your kids, and there's so many things like that. But listen, if it's still in your heart, there's nothing that is going to keep them away from that. There's nothing in your heart, if, it, if it's there, that's going to keep you from getting access to it. We can have the best programs. We can have, and should we have them? Yeah, probably so. We should, we should have those things. But if, but if there is no heart transformation, there's no heart change, and it hasn't been healed, then, then all you're doing is, is wasting your money, if we're honest. Listen to this. John Eldridge said this. He says, you can't demand the broken to live if, if they were whole. And that's why when we go with discipline first, that's what we're doing. Discipline is not the issue. Apply discipline and you will actually make it worse. What is needed is healing. Whenever I talk with people about uh, these, these types of problems, you know, accountability always comes up and discipline always comes up and, and good practices and those things are good. But what is needed most is this right here. It is needed healing. And that can only come from God. So, being the good pastor I am, and this is a Southern Baptist church, I decided to try my hand in alliteration. To try to uh, do something. I, I honestly don't know that I've, I've ever done this before. Okay, I, I don't know if I've done it, but as I was writing this out and getting these things together, I said, hey, every one of these starts with R. And it just happened, you know? So, so maybe, maybe it just works out that way. So we're going to do three R's to guard your heart. Three R's to guard your heart. The first one is to repent of your sin. If it's a heart issue and there's sin there, listen, the Bible commands that we repent. The problem is, is we also need our theology right about repentance. 
Because repentance, a lot of people just think, hey, I'm sitting here. Hey, God, I'm sorry. I know you died for me, and I did this thing, and I asked you to forgive me, and you just think, now what? Listen to this. Um, Actually, turn in your Bible with me. I didn't put this up on the screen, but turn your Bible with me to James chapter 4, verse 7. I actually preached last Wednesday night about this a little bit with our students, and it was so good, I I figured I would add this in here too. This is what James talks about whenever he is talking to uh, a group of Christians about sin in their lives and how they deal with sin. I want you to listen to his language. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, James says this. He says, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil. I'm going to go ahead and talk about that just for a second. Resisting. Resisting. It's in the title of this, but I really didn't have a slide for it. But in resisting. When you're tempted with sexual sin, whether it's a website, whether it's making out with somebody, whether it's a one-night stand, whatever the temptation is that you're struck with, the Bible nowhere says to, to, to sit there and bind Satan. And, and Satan, I bind you and this spirit of... Uh, of lust and this and that and stuff like that. And is that sort of stuff real? Yeah, it's real. But the Bible just doesn't say that. It doesn't say to handle sin that way. It doesn't say sit there, I plead the blood of Jesus over my mind and my body and these magazines. And it, it, it doesn't say that. It says when you are tempted to resist, Jesus also gave us that example as well. Jesus gave us the example that when Satan came to him uh, in the desert, when he was fasting and Satan came and tempted him, unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus resisted. He used Scripture for his defense and he resisted. And exactly what James says right here, the devil left. The temptation will leave if you resist. Sometimes we want to uh, make everything uh, over-spiritualized. Listen, when God's eyes and God's economy, the way that things work, God doesn't see a compartmentalization in between the supernatural and the natural. It's all natural to Him. And if we're His children, then we need it, it needs to be all natural to us as well. And in that, There's no sense to even over-spiritualize that. He simply says to resist. Resist the temptation. And He will flee from you. Next step is to come close to God and God will come close to you. If you find yourself in sin and you find yourself falling, listen, you need to run to church. You need to be running so fast that you knock the doors down on your way in. Well, somebody will have to pay for that, but you know, maybe we'll open the door for you, okay? Uh, but one of the first things that I've noticed in my time in church is that when people get caught up in sin, when people tend to, uh, to leave the church, they, uh, they quit answering texts and calls and things like that, and you just don't see them, and you call and you check up on them, hey, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, I've just been busy. I've been... And the whole time we're knowing what's going on, there's some sin issue that's going on. Listen, we all need to get this programmed into our brain. If our theology is right about God, it's about Jesus, about the Word, everything like that, then our theology needs to be right about the church and God's people and His message here. We know that the answer, the perfect answer, the perfect solution 
for sin on this earth was for God to send Jesus to come and live on this earth. The perfect, the perfect plan that God had to get that message to everyone and for us to live in community was His church. You cannot be right with God unless you are also right with the church. Listen to me. A lot of people might disagree with me about that, but listen, it's all throughout Scripture. You never see anybody who is a lone wolf who, who's out there just battling sin and doing this, and they're just, them and God's got their own thing worked out. I've heard that so many times, I'm actually sick of it. That's actually, a, that's actually heresy is what that is. If you believe that this is God's church and that was His perfect plan uh, for us as Christians to live in that and to be a part of His kingdom through the local church, then you're going to believe that when you find yourself in sin, that you need to be with your brothers and sisters. I saw a meme recently that said, religion says, um, you know, oh no, I'm in trouble. I need to hide it from my dad. But true relationship says, oh no, I'm in trouble. I need to get to my father. That, you as Christian, if you're dealing with sin in your life, whether it's a sin of lust or whatever sin it is, you need to run to your father. Because I promise you, he's going to be running to you. Jesus tells us that when the story of the prodigal son. Back in verse 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. And he's not talking about coronavirus. And a lot of y'all are washing your hands because of the coronavirus, but you will not wash your hands because of the sin in your life. And I'm, yeah, I'm trying to say that to be funny, but I'm also to say real. If we took sin as serious as we do the coronavirus, that we're willing to shut down stores, that we're willing uh, to not... to to work from home, if we're willing to majorly adjust our lives because of the coronavirus, then what on earth are we doing with the sin in our lives and the sin in our church? We seriously act like sin is not progressive. We seriously act like sin is no big deal, that everybody does it. But Jesus says at all costs, man, if you've got to cut your hand off, you've got to pluck your eye out, get rid of it! Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For loyalty is divided between God and the world. And listen to this. This is a part of repentance in verse 9 right here. Let there be tears for what you have done. You don't just shrug your shoulders. Well, I guess I gave in to it that time. God, forgive me. Well, I ask for forgiveness, so I'm going to move on until it comes up again, and there's no heart change. James says in verse 9 here, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. If there's sin in your life, you need to mourn it. Nobody likes to cry. Nobody likes to mourn. Nobody likes to go into this season of mourning something. But if you seriously saw what sin was doing to your life and doing to your relationship with God, my friend, you would cancel the whole week and and enter into a deep morning, a deep time of repentance. James keeps going with it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let there be sadness instead of laughter. Nobody wants to be intentionally depressed. 
But yet James says, let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. If you're dealing with sin in your life and you haven't been able to shake it and God has not set you free with it, maybe it's because you haven't looked at sin for what it really is. For something that's destroying your life and destroying your walk with God. You might even come to the conclusion that you're not even saved. That you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So the next one is repent of your sin. And it's not, listen, it's not just saying a prayer. It's literally turning. Listen, the word repent in the actual Greek means a complete change of mind. It's like a brainwash, a brain clean. That's what happens when you repent of your sin. There is a new Lord. There is a new King. Porn no longer reigns. Sexual immorality no more longer reigns. Jesus is the King. Jesus is what is on the forefront of our minds. That's what repentance is. Don't dare dumb it down to just a prayer. The third one here is to receive love and healing from God. You don't stay there in that mourning. You don't stay there in that grief and that sadness with those tears. After that season, after that time, you get into receiving love and healing from God. Something I've struggled with my entire adult life is my weight. And I really felt like I've probably read just about every diet book out there. It's something I've struggled with, and I, I'm really, really open uh, about that and some of my struggles. You know, I've went through seasons where I've lost a lot of weight, and, and then I gain it back and, and, and those things. And, and so while this might be uh, a problem that you deal with, mine is, has been my weight and overeating and those things like that. Yes, that's a sin, and yes, it's something that I am constantly dealing with and trying to work on. But listen to me on this. <clears throat> At the start of every year, when people are running out and getting their gym memberships at Planet Fitness or O2 Fitness or uh, any of the other programs, they're ordering P90X, they're doing all that stuff, people have a tendency that they need to work out if they've got to lose weight and get in shape. That that is what they've got to do. They hire uh, personal trainers and they, they get on that bandwagon. But I want you to listen to this. The fitness experts, the ones that are selling those programs, the ones that are leading those gyms, all say this. It's in its actual fact. There's all kinds of clinical research about this. You can read all the studies that you want to on this. You can go out and do all those things, but it's 80 to 90% of your weight loss and health is through your diet, it's through what you receive. It's not what, through you, what you do. That's the reason whenever we talk to somebody about, um, about porn or, or we talk to them about lust or sin in their life, you know, everybody wants to talk about accountability. They want to talk about discipline. They want to talk about what can I do? What book can I read? What can I do? Listen, before, yes, those things are helpful. They, they are and they're glad, but they're not the first place that we need to go. 
They're simply not the first place they go. They, they help and they contribute. Working out helps and contributes to you burning calories and getting in better shape and having a, a cardio rhythm and all that stuff that helps you lose weight. But if there's something that doesn't change on you in the inside about how you eat and bring nutrition into your body, then it's going to be for naught because eventually uh, you're going to miss some workouts and the weight's going to come back. Listen, we need to feast on receiving love and healing from God. Before discipline, before accountability, before all that, yes, we need to repent. But we've also got to receive. What is it that you're telling yourself? What does what your self-talk look like? What are you putting in front of yourself? Is it message of shame? And guilt, listen, just like we we're talking about with alcoholics, man, I wish it was that easy. I wish my wife could just uh, uh, yell at me for eating too much ice cream and then I would just lose weight. That would be great. I wish that uh, people that I know that are alcoholics, I wish I could just show up at their house and yell at them and, and, and that would be the end of it. That would be great. I wish I could just hand out books to people that have real life problems, but see, if it's a heart problem, very little time it's just a discipline problem. Most of the time it's a heart problem. They've got to understand how to receive love and healing. What John Eldridge meant by making things worse by applying discipline is that you're taking a broken person and you're driving that person. It'd be like trying to take a paralytic and then taking them to CrossFit and demanding that they run or demanding that they do all the feats that those people do or maybe somebody with a broken leg and you're sitting there yelling at them, why can't you do this? Why can't you do this? They're just simply unable physically to do that. They can't do that. And if you take a person who has a broken heart, someone that's got sin in their life, and you're sitting there yelling at them about their discipline, about all the things that they've got going on in their life, and they've not fixed that heart problem yet, listen, you're wasting your time and energy, and you're hurting them. They need to receive love and healing from God. And it needs to be us as the church to lead them there. Listen, um, the last R here is to respond with a plan for holy living. Once we go through repentance, once we go through a time of receiving love and healing, if you're in leadership in the church and you find yourself in that, listen, take a break. You know, come to one of the pastors here. Not everybody's got to know. So if you need to take a break so that you can just receive love and healing and get through that, listen, that, that's fine. But respond with a plan for holy living. Before you get into discipline and accountability partners and signing up for this and that and, and, and doing all those things to try to hold yourself accountable, respond with a plan for holy living. If we get our heart right, we get our theology right about God, theology right about Jesus, theology right about the Holy Spirit, theology right about Scripture. If we get those and can see those the way that God sees those, then we can move forward with a plan for holy living. There's actually a fourth R, but I thought three would keep us in the framework. So we're going to finish up real quick. I don't want to just leave you guys high and dry. There's no way in 30, 40 minutes that I can sit here and solve all the world's problems when it comes to uh, this deep issue. Jesus did it in three verses. I couldn't do it in three weeks. So, but we're going to look at some resources. So there's a fourth R. There's a bonus R. Uh, the first one is this book right here, Finally Free by Heath Lambert. It just so happens um, 
uh, Pastor Isaiah and myself are going through some biblical counseling training and uh, was doing some reading uh, as a part of that. Uh, this was one of the books that, that I read, Finally Free, Fighting for Purity with the Power of Grace. And this is a great book. Just happened to read this just about two weeks ago. Just got finished reading it when Pastor Bob asked me to speak on this. Um, by Heath Lambert. He is a, uh, a professor of biblical counseling at Southern Baptist uh, Theological Seminary in Kentucky. Uh, but it's probably one of the best books I've read on Christians who struggle uh, with lust and pornography problems. This right here, um, let me say, this is available um, on Amazon and Lifeway has it too. Uh, online. Uh, it's a very inexpensive book. It's also available on Kindle, so you could actually download it today and start reading it today uh, if you need that. This was um, a movie that is on Right Now Media, and it's also on Amazon Prime for free if you're a Prime member, but it's called The Heart of Man. Our brokenness is a bridge, not a barrier, and it has to deal with sexual immorality. I will say if you've got kids that are probably under 10 or so, maybe uh, just because of the topics that are on there and some of the stories that are on there, you might just want to guard them or maybe watch it first before you decide if that's right for you and your family. Uh, But I want to encourage everyone. I know it's going to be a a nice day outside. It's warm already and and those things. But if you could watch this movie, try to watch it before the end of this day. Everybody in our church uh, has an account for Right Now Media. It's absolutely free. Or if you're a Prime uh, video member. Uh, It's also on there, but it's simply just called The Heart of Man. It's a beautiful movie with lots of beautiful scenes, but it really captures a lot about uh, a godly way to handle this problem and share some wonderful stories in the well. So I'm going to pray for you guys real quick and ask Wayne and the band to go ahead and come up. If you, if anything, um, uh, if anything that I've said here today has really, really hit home with you, I want to I issue the challenge that you follow up. You can download the notes. They're very simple. I didn't have that many notes. Uh, you can go back and watch this uh, sermon on, on Vimeo and Facebook. Maybe you could talk to somebody there in your house. Or feel free to call me or any of the pastors, Pastor Bob, Pastor Isaiah, Pastor Wayne, uh, we would be more than glad to talk, to talk with you about this and maybe help you in this journey. Listen, I struggled for years. From the time that I was a teenager, I had pornography introduced to me by a cousin when I was probably about 10 years old. And I struggled for years on and off uh, being exposed to that until I was in my early 20s or mid-20s. And, uh, and God set me free but he didn't set me free the way that I thought he was going to. I thought I was really going to work my way into that. And it really came through receiving his love and receiving uh, his forgiveness and through a repentance process that I was actually set free from that. Many men that I've talked to all over the country through a ministry that I worked with while I was in seminary, I've heard their stories and I've talked one-on-one with men from literally all over the country and their stories. Listen, And that's where it breaks. It breaks in receiving God's love by repenting and responding with holy living. If we can get our theology right, if we can understand how God sees sin, then we can. So I'm going to pray and ask the band to come up. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just pray that these have all been Your words and not mine. God, I ask You to come and be with any person, God, 
that is struggling right now and that this message has hit home for them. God, we want to give this message in love, but just like You, Jesus, we don't want to play games either because this is something so serious. This is literally goes from playing with matches into a wildfire. So God, we just ask that You would speak to our hearts. And God, that we could walk with You, God. Lord, I just ask those that need to repent of sin, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit will guide them right now. And that God, that You will lead them to the feet of Jesus. We thank You, God. We thank You for the opportunity to receive Your love to receive Your forgiveness. And God, to receive Your power to be able to resist the enemy and to break the stronghold that are affecting so many lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Jesus, you're my hope and 
God.